Hello. 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 And welcome to Pioneer's Post podcast. Social enterprise stories and conversations from across the world. There are lots of ways one might define a good leader, and many figures one could readily select as examples. But at Pioneer's Post, we're interested in a specific kind of leader. We're looking for those leaders who are both trying to make a difference and doing business differently. These are the leaders treading that fine line between money and mission for the benefit of people and planet. So welcome to the Good Leaders podcast with me, Tim West, founding editor of PioneersPost.com. Welcome to the Good Leaders podcast with me, Tim West from Pioneers Post, and a very warm welcome to Charlie Dorman from Connection Crew, an award-winning social enterprise crewing company that has racked up more than 18,000 events over 18 years since it launched. Charlie, very nice to see you. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. So, Charlie, you're a crewing company. Tell us what a crewing company does and then maybe um, go into a bit more detail about what Connection Crew in particular is all about. What do you do? Where are you based? And what's your role there? Yeah, thanks. Um, I think, you know, crewing company is a bit of an abstract concept to people that aren't familiar with it, perhaps. Um, we're, um, we provide labour to the events industry. So, so skilled and unskilled. Um, the easiest way to describe it is we're the people that turn up and offload the truck and build the event. Um We've been doing that since 2005, and we started as part of a charity. Um, our particular social impact model is that we work with people that have with lived experience of homelessness um, or have been at very high risk of homelessness at some point in their lives. Um, so we've been doing that for quite a long time, uh, which weirdly doesn't feel like it's been a long time. We always have this idea that we're just getting started, but I have to remind myself that it, it was 2005, you know, so <laughs> it's been a while. Um but yeah, we're based in London, in Bermondsey. Our operations are based in there, sort of training centre and offices. Um, I've been the director at Connection Crew since 2009. So I wasn't the founding director, which is a whole other story in itself. And my uh, my business partner, Warren, is the other director there. We have two directors, there's two of us. Um, and I think we don't really have the titles, but I probably sit slightly more in the CEO camp. And Warren's probably more the COO camp, possibly. That's probably the easiest way to define our roles. Okay. So tell us a bit more about how things came about then. You said you launched in 2005, but you were part of a charity. And I had a look on Companies House, and yeah, it says that Connection Crew CIC, Community Interest Company, officially launched on the 3rd of September 2009. So we're approaching a little anniversary for you, I guess, with both you and Warren as, as directors. But how, how did the idea actually initially come about then? And how did you both get together as co-founders in the in the community interest company? Yeah, I mean, Connection Crew started in 2005. It was part of the Connection at St. Martin's charity for the homeless, which is based just off Trafalgar Square um, in London. And Connection St. Martin's are quite an unusual charity, or were at the time at least, in, in as much as that they really addressed the sort of full range and scope of services to tackling homelessness so they were doing everything from street count and outreach work um, all the way through to independent living 
so supporting people into jobs and and dealing with all that really complex non-linear stuff that happens in the middle so teams specializing in in sort of supporting people with substance misuse problems housing um healthcare well-being you know it's a it's a it's a complex world homelessness and doesn't have any easy answers and one of the challenges that they re- recognized early on is that it was really hard to get people into jobs employers weren't weren't willing to work with people with no experience in their CV um, and were probably also not providing the kind of support and development that some individuals would have benefited from. So they started looking at setting up their own social enterprise. Um, they started looking at setting up their own social enterprise and at the time, which were quite new models, the, the kick hadn't been around very long. I think the kick launched in 2005 as a legal structure. I think that's right. Um, and so they, 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 a friend of one of the managers there was a guy called Paul Grecian who ran what was at the time and probably still is one of the largest and most successful crew companies in the industry called Gallo Glass. And they helped set us up. And they went to them and said, well, look, you know, can we set up a business? So they got a gang of crew together and sent them to Gallo Glass for a month. And Jamie, the, the sort of incumbent management and connection at St. Martin's, went to Gallaglass to kind of learn how to run a crew company for a month and they came back and um, and started. And I first came into contact with Connection Crew in 2006 um, and it was, you know, I immediately recognised that there was an opportunity for me to bring some of my experience to the table and help them. Um, and, you know, the rest is history as, they, as the saying goes. What was your experience then? How did you connect with connection crew what happened to to make that take place yeah i um i'll try and keep this to the very potted history but i'd had sort of a a career in music really um starting out as a musician in a band and um and sort of promoting and and getting into live event production through that really and doing bits of touring and um and putting a lot of nightclubs on in, in and around london um, and I'd built up, um, you know, sort of career doing that, got into festival work and stage managing and, and producing in, in, in festivals. Um, but the real sort of the main thrust of my, my kind of career was in being a record producer. I was doing that, you know, as an engineering producer for about 10 years. And I just, I just had a family. Well, had my first child, um, and I was working at Connection Crew already by that point. But the trouble about being a record producer is you're only you're only as good as your last record. Um, and so you can't just say yes to every project. You've got to kind of, you know, you're trying to carve a path and make sure every record you make is exciting and interesting for people. Um, and so I was sort of picking and choosing a little bit more. And I had a few weeks between projects and I just wasn't idling easy. I was you know, looking for something to do. So started searching online for a charity or a or a community group to put some time into i'd already i'd always been sort of you know had a leaning towards the third sector and fundraising and bits and pieces so thought that'd be a good use of my time um and eventually online found connection crew um stumbled literally just stumbled across it so rang them up and went to go and see jamie um who'd been running it for about a year at the time and of course, within about you know half an hour, he'd have me in the pub, and four hours later, we were you know going to save the world and all the rest of it. <laughs> um, um, 
but I, yeah, I immediately started, and that was how it began, really. And I, I started on site with the crew. I was the first non-ex-homeless person that um, Connection Crew employed. Um, yeah, was the first person who hadn't come through the charity, um, and that was um, that was really eye-opening. Sort of being out on site and seeing the crew, and there was a lot of energy. There was a you know people really wanted it to make it work, but there was a real deficit of experience, and a, and it was around that time that the message from clients was that that we love what you're trying to do, and we think it's great, but actually, if you want us to continue working with you, you've got to send us people that know what they're doing. You know, I've got four hours to build this conference. I've got my client breathing down my neck and none of your crew know how trust goes together or how to rig a light, you know. So that was that was the first sort of piece of work, really, was get out on the ground, see what was going on, support and develop the team on site, but also, you know, bring some of my experience as a production manager to the table and, and write out the guidelines on what, quality meant and sort of creating some of those definitions you know what are we training people how are we measuring that how do we make sure that we can you know reliably offer a, a good quality of service and and you know and train people to do that so yeah I started doing that that was the first bit and then uh, 2008 happened that was exciting um with the global <laughs> market crash and we sort of you know half the business walked out the door overnight and literally the phone stopped ringing it was awful um, and, you know, and I think it was after that happened, the charity really just sort of rightly so lost a lot of confidence in, in, in the business and what we were doing. You know, we had half the amount of clients and we were losing money handing it hand over fist. And, you know, I think that was the first point where it was really clear there's, there's a very important difference between a business and a charity. And I think it sits in its sort of appetite for risk somewhere, you know, the charity is trying to protect its resources and, and deliver its services for the longest possible period of time. And so is looking to dial risk out everywhere. Whereas I think a, a business is, is inherently trying to take risks as part of its, you know, it's, it's course of operating. And, you know, if you go to a market with 10 chairs, you don't know how many you're going to sell that day. Right. You know, so, and, and I think that was the, that was the moment where it was like, okay, you know, the charity sort of said, we've had enough of this with, this is, you know, way outside of our, our comfort zone, you know, Jamie had sort of handed his notice in and sort of said, I just can't, can't do this anymore. You know, I think, and, and he'd be the first to admit this, you know, he just had no interest in events. He was interested in, in helping people and working with sort of, you know, young vulnerable people and sorting stuff out. And, and increasingly the work was, was about clients and was about financial management and things that were much more commercial. And, um, and so we, you know, he said, do you want to take it over? And and that's where Warren came into the mix. Um, and I, I sort of thought about it for a long time because I'd seen, you know, what it had done to Jamie and how sort of difficult and challenging it was, you know, and I think he had to take a year off and go and sit on a beach to put himself back together, really, after four years at the helm, sort of getting Connection Crew started. Really, really tough times for him. And, and that's not sustainable, you know. So I sort of... I said yes in the end, but on two conditions. One that I, I did it my way, and I did it with I did it with someone else, you know, and that someone else was Warren. Um, and I don't know, I don't know if it would have happened if if he hadn't have said yes. Um, but we'd worked together a lot in festivals, um, 
and, and other sort of event projects and and we met putting club nights on warren was managing venues and producing nights himself um we we've met on that scene and been good friends for a while and i think we just warren was the only person i wanted to ask i didn't i didn't really there wasn't anyone else that i thought would be right for it and i think we just because we worked with each other a lot you know on different projects previously i just really trusted his judgment you know um and i thought at the time it was important because you know um i needed someone else to kind of you know bring bring perhaps a slightly sometimes different perspective to things and um you know someone that was a very capable pair of hands that we could sort of you know collaborate and i couldn't think of anyone that i'd rather do it more with so thankfully he said yes and and he was living in the mountains in italy having an absolutely fabulous life and i um i managed to convince him to move back to london and come and work in a cupboard with me and <laughs> run this call um, and he said yes it was great I'm fascinated by the decision making process that must have gone on in both of your brains I mean we can't Warren's not here but maybe you could tell me a little bit more in a minute about about how how and why he decided to do this because you know you're faced you, you were saying you know half the business went out the door you already had a successful career as a record producer you had a at that point what a one year old child or a two or no a four year old child or something by then. So what was it that made you think, um, you know, I'll take this risky failing business um, from this charity and turn it into something um, and go and sit in a cupboard and do it? Yeah, yeah. I I don't know. I mean, I think I think one thing we both saw in it, which. There's, there was lots of things going on at the time. We were just incredibly optimistic. It was a point in our lives where we just really believed we could do it, you know, whatever it was. And there was this feeling around us that it was like, yeah, but everyone else says no because they, they're not us, you know, and they can't see, you know, which is the arrogance of being young, right, you know. Um, and so there was a bit of that, I suppose. But, but But actually, we were both kind of working freelance, you know, you know, or sole traders effectively. And we've both been doing it long enough to realise that it's that can be a trap. I think for some people it works, that can work really well, but you you realise that in the end, all you can do is build the value of your day rate, you know? And so personally for Warren and I, we saw that it was an opportunity to build something more than a salary. It was a chance to build a business. And, and we both had, you know, felt very strongly in the past and done lots of sort of fundraising through events and bits and pieces. And we just felt this alignment with those kind of aims and um, running a business and, and, and building something that was more than your day rate, you know, and we, we were both really excited by that opportunity. Um, um, and it was much, much harder than we thought it was going to be. <laughs> we sort of started it at the Connections and Martins in, in the summer Um 2009 and sort of by September Warren and I were sort of fully at the helm and sort of driving driving the business forward um and it was just very challenging conditions but I think we looked at the commercial reality when we took it on at that point the business I think in that financial year that first year where the handover was to us um previously the lot the sorry the last year that that CSTM had run it turnover was 169k and it had lost 40 grand 
at a loss at forty thousand pounds. So we weren't even starting at zero. You know, <laughs> it was pretty terrible in in the worst market conditions in in modern history. You know, and and but we just knew that through our own networks we could probably bring a few clients on board. You know, yeah. And we could just, because of our experience, we could see where the problems were really quickly. And we knew, we just knew that, that we just have to straighten a few things out, focus on quality, stop getting wrapped up in the, the social enterprise mission, like what that narrative is and deliver the service. And actually at the time we had a lot of, lot of crew in, in, in the team that were ex-homeless um, and we were still operating out of the charity. So the scale was such that, we didn't really need to sort of think about it in the way that we do now because it was only like 30 crew on the books, you know, it wasn't, wasn't a big operation. So to get our 25%, you know, you count them on, on the hands you had, you know, so it wasn't the scale of the challenge wasn't quite as big in that respect. So we just went after the work and we tried to get some investment from big issue and uh, they were great and really supportive. And, and we, you know, produced the business plan and cash flow and, we said we're gonna we're gonna grow twenty five percent, and the we're also sort of doing this in conjunction with the board of di- with the um, the board of trustees at the charity as well, because we're sort of not only trying to grow it, but transitioning from ownership of the charity to an independent CIC was also quite complicated. Um, and we, in the end, I remember sitting down with with you know the various parties involved and. And the message was the same from everyone. It's like the market's down 50%. You're saying you're going to grow 25%. Like, how are you finding 75% over the market? Like, where's, where's that coming from? And we just knew it was our tenacity, but you can't say that in, in that context. It's hard to put tenacity into a spreadsheet. Um, and so we agreed that we did sort of try and aim for 5 or 10%. Um, as a sustainable kind of idea to sort of try and get the business independent. And I think the charity also had, um, at the time, I remember them having concerns for Warren and I personally as well. You know, um, they had still carried a sort of duty of care and a sense of, you know, um, responsibility for us because we were technically employed by them and they were very worried about sending us out to fail, you know. But there comes a point where you just have to take the step, you know, and we did. And Big Issue looked at all this information and they said, we'd love to, but we just can't. And it's just a technicality. We need 12 months accounts. So even though Connection Crew had been running for however long CSTM, we didn't have any accounts. So they, they couldn't they couldn't they couldn't do a deal. We went back a year later. We'd grown the business 89 percent in a year and we'd broken even. And I remember Ed sitting in the meeting with Ed Seagal, he's now at Charity Bank, I think. Um, uh, I remember Ed sitting there and, and chuckling and we said, okay, I think we can do a deal. <laughs> <laughs> and we got our first investment after a year and that's what we used to redo our website and, um, and employ our first two members of staff. Because up until that point, Warren and I were doing absolutely everything and it was exhausting. And both of them are still with us. So yeah, there you go. Oh, fantastic. And, and when you transitioned to become a kick then and, and you came out of the charity as employees, were I can't mm. remember, is it a, a kick limited by guarantee or by shares? I mean, do you, what I'm trying to ask, I suppose, is do you and Warren actually have a, 
a personal stake in the business or um you know is this something that you're doing purely as as um you know directors who who don't have any shares um well yeah it's a, it's a company limited my shares on i've got 50% of them warren has the other 50% um and i think at the time there was this this notion that shares offered us the right balance between risk and reward you know i think sometimes yeah. that's overlooked you know i've always being quite vocal about social enterprises being very sharp, lean and effective businesses, you know, and I've always resisted the sort of the, the label of sort of not-for-profit because I just think it's, I just don't think it's very helpful for a business to have that mindset. You know, we, we're competing in a very strong market, you know, and, and, and we have to sort of think about incentivizing individuals, not just Warren and I, but, you know, if we want, if we want the best talent in our organisation, which I think we do, we we need to think seriously about about the reward for that. You know, I think everyone at Connection Crew is there because it's a social enterprise, but that doesn't mean, you know, Warren and I's feeling is that that doesn't mean people should be compromising their talent and their their career and their reward for for bringing that to the table. You know, we need we need to compete on that level as much as we do out in the market with with the competitors. You know. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a company limited by shares. Um, and you know, I think there was a dividend distribution one year, but we've never really, we've never really done it because we've always been too busy reinvesting. And I think that's always been our, our approach to it. Um, you know, we've always seen our roles as guardians of connection crew, not necessarily owners, you know, um, in as much as it's our responsibility to make sure it's still here in 20 years time, you know, that's, that's the job, yeah. you know, yeah. um, and thriving and because the agenda is different because it's a social enterprise, because, you know, the reason for being isn't, isn't to run a crewing company, even though that is very much the commercial and operational focus of what we do. The real aim is to, is to support people and create opportunities for people. And so, that's the kind of primary objective and it does change it changes the mindset and it changes the culture of the organization i think you know and and the kick really supports that you know it would feel a bit strange to us if we were financially doing quite well Warren and i were doing quite well out of it but our, our impact results were you know miles off they're just you know and obviously we it's the kind of purpose of the regulator to kind of make sure that sort of thing doesn't happen but that also must be the mindset as well right you know it can't just it can't just be you know because you're told to it, it needs to it needs to come from within you know so yeah it's it's um it's been a long slog but we're still you know we're still finding it rewarding enough to keep going because <laughs> ultimately it's always a choice you know so you're you're 18 years old how is it looking now and what what does your turnover and profit and impact look like today then how can you say you're successful today yeah it's um we're a very different creature to when we were all those all those years ago um it's hard to talk about this without mentioning the c word um maybe we'll talk about that in a minute <laughs> yeah <laughs> um we uh, I think the last financial year, um, 22 um, turnovers, probably around 3.3 million, something like that. Um, 
with about 100, 117,000 hours of, of work completed by ex-homeless people. Um, Great. Which is, which is an enormous achievement. You know, the, the amount of crew that people were employed in that year was just over 300. Um, I think 72 were people with lived experience of, of homelessness. It's the biggest numbers we've ever seen. And so on paper, at least, we are, you know, the, the largest version of Connection Crew that we've, we've ever been, um, which I think, given the event of the last few years, is an extraordinary achievement for the team. Um, and I think now, you know, to thinking about what the mark of success really is, um, it's really about risk management is becoming more and more important. You know, how do we make this sustainable for people in the business? How do we remove key person risk? How do we ensure that Connection Crew is thriving in 10 years time? How do we how do we work with more people that could do with our support? You know, and so we have a twenty five percent target. So twenty five percent of our workforce is is our own people with you know lived experience or high risk of. And you know, last that twenty twenty was twenty three percent. Um, so you know, a little way off the mark, but you know that's one of the other challenges is the the scale of the organisation grows we also have to really scale up all of the other activities as well, you know, and, and one of the things that I think's made connection crew successful is that social enterprise, the, the impact bit isn't something we do on a Wednesday for two hours. You know, it's, it's really embedded into the day to day of the organization. You know, it's, it's something that's happening all the time. So, um, but that means that there's, there's different challenges with that, you know, and scaling, scaling that up is uh, not an easy thing to do. Um, for all sorts of reasons, but I think you know we're probably on paper having the most successful year that we've ever had um, at the moment, which is great to report. Well done, congratulations! <laughs> Thank you. Well, you you know, there's been points over the last few years where I'm not sure I'd be sitting here being able to say that. You know, it's been incredibly difficult, and, um, but I'm very pleased to report that, and we're not out of the woods yet. You know, I think. The market's still struggling. Our industry is still struggling to recover. Um, yeah. The competition is fierce. You know, we're, you know, like a lot of businesses, there's supply side challenges. Margins are on the ropes everywhere. You know, it's it, very, very challenging times to operate in. Um, you know, the cost, the impact of cost of living is very real for us um, with the workforce that we've got. So whilst on paper it feels like it's the best year, I think, you know, when we when sort of in the business, we can see there's a lot of challenges for us ahead. You know, quality of life, quality of opportunity we're offering, all those kind of considerations, which are really important that we keep focused on and don't drift towards profit at the expense of people in the business. You know, that's not it's not how we want to do things, you know. Um, so, yeah, plenty of challenges ahead. But we're, we're I think we're doing all right at the moment. We're doing OK. So in terms of your greatest business challenge, this is something I ask all the good leaders that I interview. I'm guessing that COVID and the ongoing implications of COVID and now the cost of living crisis. I mean, I, I'm, you know, you thought 2008 was bad when you kind of took the business on, but I'm guessing that COVID is another scale of challenge. And that's really something that you have had to 
think very long and hard about. I mean, did you ever, did you ever think during COVID that you were going to have to close down? Definitely. I mean, you know, it was, it was by far and above the biggest, you know, business challenge I've, I've ever had to, and Warren, that either of us have had to deal with. Um, you know, we were, there were just so many factors, you know, and it was so hard to find any sort of sure footing to base anything on. Uh, everything was up in the air. And, and I think that wasn't unique to Connection Crew or our industry. I think, you know, just everywhere, that much uncertainty makes it incredibly difficult to plan and, and be effective. And, you know, I think whilst we're still very much in the small business camp of, you know, in terms of definitions, it feels like a large business to us. And that means it's it's less easy to become ad, to be really agile with things, and so obviously we're we're always working six to twelve months ahead in terms of what's next, what are we doing, you know, cash planning, all that kind of stuff. And you just can't operate any of that because, you know, day by day, week by week, it's we're, we're getting you know one hundred and eighty degree you know turns in policy and 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 everything. It was, but you know, I think we probably watched a million quid walk out the door in about three days <laughs> when, when they um, pulled the trigger, you know, like the entire pipeline just went to zero, you know, and I think at the time we sort of said, don't worry about it, you know, this will all blow over, it'll be fine, we'll be back to work in no time. So we sent everyone home and um, and we'd had a good enough run at it, you know, this sort of, there was enough in the bank to keep things ticking along and, um, and so we went obviously very concerned, but we we weren't at any kind of, you know, business level, business ending kind of threat level. But as time went on, it, it sort of became more and more serious quite quickly, you know, and it became obvious to Warren and I that we needed to start taking some very drastic action. And, you know, I think there's that, there's the conversation about, do we try and, you know, close the business? You know, do we, do we, you know, call it a day because all we can see is the abyss, you know, <laughs> and, and there's actually a real risk of wrongful trading in that scenario. You know, you sort of caught up in the romance of the organization that you've built. And, but the reality is you have to balance that very carefully with facing the hard truth, which is, you know, we're, we're, we're suffering all of the costs of, of our company and there's no income. So that has an inevitable outcome. Um, and so that was that was a constant um, assessment. We, we tabled and structured a deal with one of the major social enterprise funders, who I think it would be very unfair to name in this, in this, <laughs> in this context, but that deal collapsed the, the very last minute. And the reason being is that they, it was a fund to support social enterprises in trouble because of covid and and in the end they um decided the balance sheet wasn't strong enough to support the investment which is perfectly sensible but i think also highlights um some of the things that are still not right with impact-based um investment and funding you know um cost on our balance sheet of creating impact is significant and if we were to remove that and just be a commercial organization the performance of the balance sheet would be very different and so that felt like a bit of a bitter pill to swallow and at the 11th hour um and yeah in the why end, didn't they know that earlier i don't know it's a bit mysterious 
Um, and I think in the end, it came down to a technicality uh, with the with the end funder, not the a lot of social enterprise funders, are, as you know, are effectively brokers um, to other sources of funding. So um, it was it was you know all the way up the chain that that came from. Um, so really disappointing. Wholesale cash coming from coming from what? Yeah, it was probably one of the British business banking funds for sort of COVID recovery and and. So it probably wasn't as well suited as it could have been to a social enterprise. Okay. But it was okay. it was very that was very difficult to take. That was, you know, very, very tough um situation because everyone's it's not just it's not just me and Warren, you know, that was very far from our minds in a lot of respects. We've got we've got a whole workforce relying on the business for their income. And that's people putting food on the table for their kids. That's paying the rent and the bills, you know. It's, you know, and that's, that was a very, you know, it's a very tough situation to kind of manage effectively. Um, but in the end, we managed to get um, some grant funding, which is great. Um, we do a lot of work in the arts, um, you know, live events and all sorts of stuff. So we were successful in getting some funding from the Arts Council. Um, and that, that really kind of effectively saved us, turned us around. Um, plus, you know, it has to be said, the furlough support that we got was fundamental to surviving all of that. Um, sure. But, you know, it came with its own challenges. Um, it's not free. There's still a lot of liabilities and wages that the company had to find. So still sort of some of that hanging over is still even now. So it, it's been a long, difficult road out of it. But we sort of, you know, pipeline went to zero and we had to diversify really quick. You know, so found some work in TV and film, did some virtual events and bits and pieces, did some online work, which was really interesting um, and just about managed to keep us going. Um, and then I think June, sort of summer last year was just incendiary. Just it just we never experienced demand like it for our services. Um, and that was great, but also really challenging because it's hard to hold on to the quality when, you know, I just, it was, it was extraordinary. We couldn't, we just couldn't get the work out fast enough. I think for most of last summer, we were probably, the demand for our services was twice what we were able to deliver. It was, it was a real kind of return with, with a bang kind of thing after being very stop start. Um, but it just means that, we've just had this we've been ever since it's been extremely unpredictable you know and we're still not in back into what we would sort of refer to as a pre-pandemic kind of operating um mode you know the events industry is very seasonal and it was, for years was very predictable we knew that june was always going to be the busiest month of the year if it wasn't november um we always knew it'd be pretty quiet in february and august you know it's the summer holidays and in combinations and all the months have a sort of you know at any scale are all roughly the kind of proportionally the same sort of thing. So all of that's gone out the window and still this year, it's still very, very unpredictable. Um, we had our busiest month ever in the history of the company in June, which was fantastic this year. So that was great. But the months leading up to it were sort of unpredictably a bit, bit lower. And, and, you know, we've discovered that it's not, it's not a connection crew problem. It's something that's being felt across the industry and it just, there's a still massive, of confidence the corporate market hasn't come back in the way that it was once here before 
um, for all sorts of reasons. Um, but it was a very complex period and we came very, very close to having to close the company um, because, you know, if you haven't got a, a, a legitimate answer as to how you're going to be able to continue to service debts on the balance sheet and suppliers and pay wages, there just becomes a point where you have to call it a day. Um, and that got very, very close. Got very, very, very close. But I'm pleased to report we're still here. <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. Well, what a roller roller coaster. Yeah. Yeah. Horrendous. No more of that, please. So things are unpredictable still, but but I suppose on a slightly more even keel at the moment. Yeah, I think this year's been quite flat. Um, we've grown this year, which is great um, from last year, but not as much as we thought. Um, I just there's a combination of things going on in the world. I think as you know, it just feels like the events industry in 2023 is this is what it is you know and we're you know there are some very serious economic challenges that have you know got nothing to do with us that are being felt there's less disposable income people are going out less you know we've seen cancellations for events because of poor ticket sales you know where you've got events that don't have the benefit of large sponsorship you know they're selling mm. tickets for something they're doing you know, their, some of their costs are going up 20 to 40%, you know, when we speak to right, clients yeah. and they, they can't charge 20 to 40% more on tickets. So there's a huge squeeze across the sector. I think also we've lost a lot of experience in the pandemic. And so it's going to take another sort of four or five years, I think, for that. You know, people that start in the industry year one, we need them at year five till we've got that full spectrum of experience across the board. And without that, that means that, you know, the lead up and the planning and, and the scheduling events is, is affected by that, you know, yes, yeah. you lose all of that incumbent knowledge and experience. Um, and there isn't enough of it to go around. So we're still mm. seeing a lot of last minute bookings, a lot of last minute work, which is really hard to respond to and, and do well. Um, but you know, in some ways, these are sort of same challenges we've always had, you know, it's always been last minute work. Um, it's always been last minute demand. Um, I think the key thing for us is just to keep trying to focus on quality and make sure the, the service we're putting out is good and and is something we can deliver without you know without risk of falling over you know it's sort of you know resisting saying yes to everything and trying to make sure that the quality of the work people are doing is is good for our customers but also good for people in connection crew you know and and at that point when you you were at your lowest, you and Warren, was it a kind of first? My first question is: Was it a sort of almost a flip of the coin type of thing? Do we continue trading or not? And my second question is: Did you agree with each other on where what decision to make, uh, or, or was it difficult to agree agree with each other? Um, I think one of the reasons Warren and I are are still you know, happily working together and doing this is that it's okay for us to, dis to disagree. I think there's an obsession with, with agreement a little bit and, and actually having different views on, on things is, is important, you know, because it, it makes sure that we're making well-tested decisions about things, you know. But in the case of COVID and do we carry on, do we not, we sort of, I don't know, had nothing to lose and everything to lose. You know, the business was already in tatters. 
the and and in the end, there wasn't any question from either of us. We both felt the same way about it. In that, this is something we've put so much of our lives and our time into. The only option was to fight for it, you know, because you know it might not be the thing that I want to do forever, you know, but under our stewardship do we we want to make sure that it survives this you know if we can and we both care very deeply about the business and that wasn't actually the difficult decision you know that was a bit of a no-brainer really um we've if we've got the opportunity and the energy and the will to fight for it, we should but i remember the point it was very difficult it was it was there were dark dark days indeed and and you know really felt like we're in the abyss and sort of at zero and sort of eyeing up our previous sort of level of turnover and operational activity and really feeling how far away from us that was and knowing how much energy and time it had taken to build that scale of business for us and how long that had taken and thinking, wow, at this stage in my career, have I really got the energy to do that again? You know, to go from zero back to, you know, back up to the, to the top as it were. And, and, I think I think we just we didn't you know not all the decisions we made were great along the way but that's because hindsight's a wonderful thing and we didn't have a crystal ball um, it was extremely sort of chaotic circumstances but actually I think we did really well you know we've built the team and done various bits and pieces um and sort of looked at resources, looked at changing how we operate, restructured everything, got lean, you know, got rid of loads of the um, sort of systems and processes. And it was a real opportunity to rebuild properly, to go into the business and go into the guts of it and go, well, hang on, like, if we're going to come back to this. Why do we have to keep doing things the same way? You know, this is a real opportunity for us to decide to, you know, take advantage of this pause that we've had and and sort of re-examine systems processes and so we restructured the whole business um, restructured the teams you know the sort of management structure and you know and that that's ongoing still um and we're just kind of getting the hang of it and i think from going to zero to back to where we are now the decision wasn't to try and get back to where we were it was if we're going to do this let's really make it count you know, let's actually, let's really go for it or let's not do it at all because it's too exhausting otherwise. You know, we both felt strongly that we can't go through all of that again just to end up back where we were because, you know, it's it's too much, you know. So if we're going to save this and if we're going to do it, let's actually get it to where... Let's just try and realise the full potential of Connection Crew and, and where it should be. And, and so where we are now is this, you know, still challenging. We're still rebuilding and sort of trying to get that restructuring in place. But the idea is, is you know, how do we, I, how do we discover what Connection Crew at 10 million looks like? You know, and let's build systems for that business. You know, what does impact look like at that scale? you know how do we find the next hundred people that we can help you know and having those conversations rather than you know can we get back to 2019 and and actually we've surpassed yeah. that already you know um 
so yeah, still very exciting times at Connection Crew, and I think sort of the process to realizing that is those those you know more longer term aims is probably a bit more painful and difficult than we'd imagined. You know, we have to be prepared to challenge ourselves and challenge the ideas and our assumptions, and that's difficult for everyone because you know people's egos and 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 you know security or insecurity is all sort of wrapped up in that in the day-to-day isn't it i guess um so it's been a, it's it's been a bit bumpy at points but i really feel like you know we're we're getting that settled down and so we're looking forward to a, a good year in 2024 we can start realizing some of those future aims it's really interesting what you've explained about being at your sort of lowest point and you know at a point when you probably were experiencing you know, kind of feelings of burnout to a certain extent, I'm sure you and Aaron Warren, but rather than sort of press a self-destruct button, you seem to, I suppose, maybe partly because the relationship you have with each other and partly because of your, your own attitudes have sort of grabbed onto a sense of, you know, renewal and the potential for change rather than, as you say, sort of thinking, oh my God, how do I build this back up again? It's more what you've been explaining a bit like you were a bit like you did when you said you got that investment from big issue invest you know you kind of um that because that must have been a point the year before when they said no again that must have been a point where you could have said oh well then we can't do it you know but there's something in you and in warren that seems to grab for that opportunity to change and refresh and and to grab onto sort of massive ambition now maybe that maybe some people would say that's um wishful thinking but it seems to have got you to a good place yeah i think it's you have to be careful that doesn't get the better of you as well you know and you know in and i speak personally for me not for warren but making sure my your ego doesn't cloud your judgment in that respect you know it's you know it's one thing to have that ambition is is great and you know and it's because we want connection crew to be as successful as we can make it and success is defined as employing as many people and 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 having you know a financially sustainable you know sort of social enterprise that's going to be here in 20 years you know um but you know it's quite hard to create that balance you know it's it's easy to get excited by an idea and and you know what we've learned over the years is it's easy to write write a future story and build a narrative and then build a sequence of numbers in a spreadsheet that supports that and that's not quite the same as making an effective business plan and actually the real work seems more to be with challenging and testing things much more thoroughly and part of that i think is realizing that warren and i can't do it all you know it's about really understanding where our limitations are as individuals and and i think sort of being sort of big enough or humble enough to just be really upfront about that you know and it's that kind of idea that we've, we've built which i know exists elsewhere in with in you know in, in other organizations but it's that kind of the three things of you know find people that are better than you you know to do the things in terms of talent acquisition and then you know number two give them the the resources they need to be successful so that includes their salary i think money is a terrible distraction you know if someone's in a job working hard 
and they feel like they could be getting more elsewhere in the market, that's just, that's time they're not thinking about, you know, our social enterprise and what we're doing. Um, but also, you know, number two is also making sure they've got the budget and resources and the team to do the things that you're asking them, you know, so number two is really important. And it's kind of number three is get out of the way, you know, <laughs> so that's quite hard, you know, as a, from a leadership challenge, you know, to Warren and I is to sort of, particularly when you can see the problems happening, you know, just because our experience, you know, we yeah. know it's like, yeah, do it that way. This is going to happen. And, you know, sometimes you've got to let that happen a bit for people to sort of build their own experience. But that's been a big transition for both of us, I think is, and it's one of the ways that I think the strategies changed post pandemic is really trying to build a team that's got great experience around us, you know, We've expanded, you know, we've got a sort of non-executive board that we brought on more recently, which in the last couple of years, which has sort of supported that process, um, you know, and, and, and it's, you know, the, the, the whole thing is really trying to design me and Warren and out, out of the whole business, you know, it's not that we're not working on it, but, but actually Connection Crew shouldn't need us, you know, in terms of its policies, its systems, its structures, its aims it should be able to operate successfully um, without Warren and I. Um, and that means that we're definitely adding value in the time that we're, we're spending there, but it also makes the whole thing more sustainable. Um, and so, yeah, that's quite challenging. It's quite, you know, um, at times been frustrating. We don't, you don't always get the right person the first time. Um, and I think the world's different as well. Like people are different. The, the sort of the the general mindset is different people's expectations about work in the workplace are different and you know we're having to adapt like lots of other companies to that you know five years ago working from home was a, was was not as well understood as it is now um you know i'd say it's very much expected as part of most most sort of office-based jobs that that's a component now um that affects your systems that affects how people communicate affects how the business has to operate and so you know it's just an example of like how much things really have changed in the last you know we've i think it's changed that we haven't we probably won't experience like this again unless we have some other sort of global catastrophic event which let's be honest could happen who knows um fingers crossed it doesn't um but yeah it's i think we're, we're seeing we're at a point where i think we're seeing the connection crew of the future starting to emerge and you know, whilst we want to grow and, and sort of become that larger organisation with sort of national coverage in our services, both in terms of impact and, and sort of the commercial services we operate, you actually have, we've got to build the systems and the structure to do that. Otherwise, it will it will just fail really quickly. And and it means change and doesn't matter. <laughs> I'm always, I think people talk about change a lot as a, as a, as a positive thing, but I, I think it's often underestimated and, and how personally challenging it can be for people you know in in the end of the day when when you're at the coalface of change and all the systems and the things that offer you the security and the confidence to deliver your role into an organization are moving and changing and into things that you might not be as confident in you know that can be really difficult um for people um so it takes time you know and it, take, it takes a lot of time and you know, just have to make sure that we're investing in that properly. So I want to ask you a little bit more about the future just just quickly. What, what's the next big exciting development 
on the horizon for Connection Crew. Where do you go next? I think the next big opportunity for Connection Crew is to expand to being a, a national supplier. I think that's the, the top of the list for us and a big part of why we're spending so much time focusing on our structure and systems and how we, we operate because homelessness isn't exclusive to London. Um, we only have offices in London, but we, you know, we're servicing projects all over the UK. So uh, I think in the coming years is really trying to understand how we start setting up and establishing regional operations across the UK. Um, and I think that's going to be a really exciting next chapter. Um, and part of our journey to, you know, we're already one of the biggest um, labour-based social enterprises in the UK. Um, but how do we really take that further and bring our impact model to more cities across the UK? So we're very excited to be working on that at the moment, which is great. Fantastic. Before we go, um, I'm just going to fire a series of quick questions to you when I ask you to choose yeah. between one thing and another. So quick questions, quick answers. Profit or purpose? Purpose. Business or charity? Business. Coffee or tea? Coffee. <laughs> Bacon, bap or sausage roll? Bacon, bap. Grants or investments? Well, grants every time. <laughs> I don't pay them back. <laughs> Risk or to stability? Risk. It's more interesting. Growth, growth or change? Oh, tough one. Growth. Building a set or building your brand? Building the brand. Conferences or concerts? Concerts. Talent or tenacity? Say that again, sorry. Talent or tenacity? Talent, I think. Social impact or environmental impact? Oh, that's not fair. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to have to say social, but we're, they're, they're, they're both pretty important for us. The ideal home show or the one show? Ideal home show. Both of which are your clients, of course. Uh, they newspaper are. or tablet? Very dearly. Yeah, sorry. Go on. <laughs> newspaper or tablet? Oh, tablet. Novel or Netflix? Netflix, the art of film. A team day out or a one-to-one? -one? Team day out. Dinner with your partner or lunch with your business partner? Dinner with my partner. <laughs> Sorry, Warren. Head or heart? <laughs> Head or heart? Oh, heart. Confidence or resilience? Resilience. Ambition or commitment? Oh, that's difficult. I think commitment. Evolution or revolution? Revolution. Charlie Dorman from Connection Crew, thank you very much for joining the Good Leaders podcast. 
Thanks, Tim. It's been amazing. You've been listening to Good Leaders with me, Tim West, founding editor of Pioneers Post. If you like what you hear or have comments, questions or suggestions for guests, then please get in touch via Twitter at Pioneers Post or email goodleaders at pioneerspost.com. 